This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. You'll find uh, Haggai. I joined my voice with, uh, with Rob's and Tim's earlier and just say happy Mother's Day uh, to one and to all. And I know that obviously... Uh, this day hits different people in differing ways. Uh, it could be a difficult day. Maybe you've lost your mom in the last year or two, and that could be a very challenging day for others. This is a, a highlight day, and so we certainly want to be a church that rejoices with those who rejoice and, and weeps and mourns with those who weep as well. And I, I feel like the word I have from this passage uh, would address all of us, no matter where you are, uh, mother or not, um, having a great day or a uh, a terrible day or anywhere in between, I think this word is uh, that we're looking at, I hope will encourage you. We've uh, been doing a series that we're calling Revive about the renewing, renewing presence of the Lord. We're doing that for two more weeks. Uh, so, well, actually one more week we're going to do. Uh, next week we're going to wrap it up out of Acts 2. And uh, though we're going to continue that theme in terms of prayer and um, that sort of thing. And then we will... Um, We'll do a couple of weeks on stewardship, and then we will hit the book of Philippians in June. And so we will work through the book. That'll be our summer study. We'll teach through Philippians uh, all summer long. So I'm really looking, looking forward to that. Well, we're in the book of Haggai. We're going to read verses uh, 1 through 9 of chapter 2. Uh, but I want to let you know, in case you haven't been here, uh, what's happened leading up to this point. Because what we're reading about is a true revival among God's people. This is a biblical example, uh, a narrative, a story of a real revival that happened among God's people. God's people had been captive in Babylon for about 50 years and uh, their city had been destroyed. Jerusalem, where the temple was, was destroyed. They were invaded. They were moved uh, outside, taken to Babylon. Uh, and then f 50 years, after almost 50 years in captivity, God raised up a leader that sent them uh, back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. So the Lord did an amazing work by his grace, freed them to go home and to rebuild the temple so that they could worship, rebuild their destroyed city and the temple so that they could worship God. God spoke to them and, uh, and told them to go. Well, they got started building, they got home, got started building the temple just a little bit into it. Uh, there's economic challenges and there's also resistance from their neighbors in the area. And so they put the, put the job aside and went and built houses for themselves and settled down and then didn't do anything for 18 years. So after 18 years of patience, God spoke and he spoke a word to them to wake up and to do what he had called them to do, to fulfill the purpose for which he had brought them to Jerusalem to build the temple. So they responded, it was phenomenal. They, God stirred their spirit up, it says. He roused them is what that means. And they responded and the people of God said, let's do what we're called to do. Let's build the house of the Lord. And we talked about how for us, we don't have a physical structure that represents um, the focus of our, us as a people. The church is the people of God, the house of the Lord is the people of God. So when we read the call to build the house of God for us, uh, we're not talking about a temple, we're talking about a community, a family, a people building together, investing in one another. And last week we talked about how one way we do that is through our gathered worship. And I, I challenged 
us to pray and somebody did because something was happening while we were singing this morning with God encouraging us in spontaneous unplanned ways so somebody prayed the Lord did something uh, wonderful this morning so thank you let's pray that continues I hope you prayed for the preacher too and uh, uh, I'll let you know at the end or you let me know um, so maybe you'll be encouraged or maybe you'll be inspired to pray a whole lot more for next week we'll see how it goes Okay, let's read uh, Haggai 2, verses 1 through 9. This is after they've begun the work on the temple. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai to the prophet. The prophet, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say... Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work. For I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former glory, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Lord, in this passage, three times you say, be strong. And so I pray for that now that by your spirit you would strengthen us as a people with a resolve to build your house according to the scripture, according to your plan, that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would grant us faith in the midst of discouragement, that you would grant us perseverance when we're uh, prone to give up, Lord, many of us in different callings, in different areas, different responsibilities in our lives show up here today weary and weak, frightened, anxious. Some may be ready to throw in the towel, and we pray that you would meet each person with faith today, that your spirit would strengthen us, impart courage to us to give ourselves to your purposes, Lord. I pray that the voice of temptation, the voice of doubt, The voice that calls us to look elsewhere would be silenced, and the voice of your word would be loud and clear. Lord, speak from your word now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we know the days of uh, all the prophecies of Haggai because he gives them to us. This is the seventh month of the, uh, the 21st day of the seventh month. So if we track back from what he, the last word he gave, this is about three and a half weeks into the building project. It's about seven weeks since God woke everybody up. The alarm went off and three and a half weeks into it, they're starting to, to build. And isn't this something? He's already coming back with a prophetic word telling them to be strong and not give up. We're three and a half weeks into it, and we're already discouraged. 
We're three and a half weeks, and there's already something of a despondency. And so he is coming, and he is calling his people to be strong. This message was given October 17th, 520 B.C., That's when he spoke this to them. Now, what's interesting about this 21st day of the seventh month is that that, we know elsewhere in Scripture, is the time of the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. Here's probably where some of the discouragement comes in. The Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles is one of the three feasts where people would gather in Jerusalem And in this one, they would make tents, like makeshift little places to stay. So you you stayed outdoors in something that you just assembled that was supposed to be sort of makeshift, sort uh, sort of sorry. It was just for a few days, maybe some branches with some leaves and such. And they did that because it was a remembrance that when they came out of Egypt, God took care of them in the desert. So it was a remembrance that God... provided for his people when they lived in tents in the desert, and it's a reminder that God is faithful, that he provides. So why is that significant? Because a bunch of people have come into town that don't live into town, and they're seeing the project for the first time. I mean, what's the buzz? The buzz is, after all these years, after the 50 years away and the 18 years of nothing, doing nothing, so 68 some odd years, after 68 some odd years, 66 years, somewhere in there, since the building was destroyed, now it's going to be built. I mean, this is exciting, and so people are coming over, and I'm sure the buzz is, go over to the temple precincts and look what's happening. You know, there's a cleared spot there where the temple is going to go up, and people are beginning to make comparisons to the old temple, Solomon's temple, the glory days, back when God was really, now we're, we're gonna rebuild and look what God, God comes and he begins to say, hey, is this what people are saying? Is this what you think? Look what he says. Who is, verse three, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? Anybody here in their 70s or 80s, he's saying. Those of you who are in your 70s and 80s, you remember what Solomon's temple was like. And now you're showing up at this and it doesn't look so impressive. It's gonna be smaller. Um, There's lots of things about it that are going to be different. So do some of you remember the old temple? What does he say next? Uh, How do you see it now? How does this look in comparison? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Oh, some people are saying the new thing is nothing. The new temple, oh, this is, I tell you, this is nothing compared to what they had in my generation. This is nothing compared to what God did before. God did something glorious before. And this is all that we have. So those working perhaps were getting a little discouraged. I mean, the situation is very different. When Solomon built the temple, he had tons of money, so he hired uh, skilled people from other countries even to come and work. He had 30,000 conscripted laborers to do the grunt work. So he hired out the specializations. He had 30,000 people who were like slave labor that had to work and build the temple. And these guys are a bunch of people that have resettled. I mean, this is Farmer Joe. This is some guy that's just trying to eke out a living with crops who grew up in Babylon. Now he's come back to Israel. He's trying to just make things happen. And he doesn't have probably the skill and they certainly don't have the workforce that they had before. 
This isn't the glory days, somebody's saying. It's good to know that that's not something that's recent, but that's always been the way it is. Someone's always gonna look back to the way it was. Someone's always gonna look back and remember what God did. Remember when it was better. Remember when, and speak a word of discouragement. I, 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 I can relate to that. Even studying this series of revival, I've gone back in my mind a number of times and remembered seasons of my own life, seasons of my own service in, the, in, in church ministry where, where things have been perhaps more alive to me, where God's, where, where God's work seemed fresher in my own life. And there's a, there's a tendency to go nostalgic, isn't there? The way it used to be. Last month, I had a, a marker. I can tell you this now because I'm no longer registered. I took down the registry, but I turned 50 last month. And so that was, a, yeah, thank you. Someone is cheering. And uh, so that, that was a big, a big marker for me. I didn't really care about turning 10, 20, 30, or 40. I, I slipped through those and didn't give it a thought. I probably thought more about being 10 than I did 40. But I've thought a lot about 50. I'm, I'm not very much into my 50s, but just a little bit. But I can already tell there's a stage life you're getting nostalgic about what God used to be doing. And it's easy for older people to do that. And that's exactly what's happening here. Remember the former glory? Remember what it was like? So this looks pretty sorry, doesn't it? I mean, this is kind of dingy, sort of wimpy, sort of, look at this little effort. I mean, how, how pathetic. And look what he says to them. Does this look like nothing be in your eyes? Verse four, yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel. So he calls to them and he says, look, be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all the people of the land. Work. Don't be comparing to the old. Get busy and work. Why? Because I am with you. Listen, there's a lesson here that I'm about to demonstrate is all over the Bible. And here's the lesson. The lesson is that when God wants to secure us and God wants to motivate us in our callings, when God wants to mobilize us to faithfulness in our various callings, he almost always reminds us that he's with us. There's nothing more motivating than God is with me. If God is with us, who could possibly be against us? And if we, we look in the scripture, we see this, that when people are questioning their ability, when people are questioning, can we do this? When people are questioning, this seems so uh, nothing compared to what was before. In those moments, when, when we're, there's trepidation, when there's uncertainty, God promises his presence. Because if you are confident you have God's presence, you can do anything. Look at this. Think about Moses the preeminent Old Testament prophet leader. Look what Moses, uh, look at this encounter with Moses, Exodus 3. Moses said to God, after God gave him his assignment, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So he says, how can I do this? Moses says, God says, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Think about Jeremiah. This has always been a great passage for younger people. I'm young. God can't use me. I'm young. That's exactly what the prophet Jeremiah said. Look at the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1. Then I said, ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak for I'm only a youth. 
But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Moses, this is too big for me. I'm with you. Jeremiah, I'm just a kid. I'm young. How can I be speaking for God? I'm with you. Or think about in the New Testament, someone as great and as powerful as Paul. In Acts 18, God speaks to him about ministry in Corinth. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid. Why? Because he was probably afraid. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Why? Because he probably thought about not speaking and being silent. For I am with you. I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people, and he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Paul, used of God, apostle to Gentiles, writing most of the New Testament. Paul, don't be afraid, I'm with you. And then think about the disciples, the apostles, and and ultimately all of us. God gives us marching orders as individuals, as families, as a church. God gives us a commission But check out the promise in this commission. Jesus came to them, Matthew 28, and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's a pretty big calling. Like this band of 12 guys. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, that means look, check this out. That's what it means. Look at this. I am with you always to the end of the ages. Go into the whole world. Whoa! You're not going to be here, Jesus. Go into the whole world. Preach the gospel. See people converted. Baptize them. And then equip them as disciples so that they mature, applying all that the scripture teaches us. That's our mission as a church. That we're called to make disciples who love Jesus, who love his church, and who love his world. That's our calling. That's our mission. That is intimidating. That is difficult. That is hard. At times, that is discouraging. And that's why Jesus says, I'm with you. I'm with you. So to the people of Israel, he only says, God only says what he always says to his people when he gives them a great task to do. I'm with you. And he fleshes out this encouragement kind of with three ideas. First of all, he says, I'm with you, so I want you to look to the past. Now, it's interesting. They're looking to the past to Solomon's temple and saying, wow, that was great. This is nothing. But he wants them to look past the temple. He wants them to look at his work in the past. In verse 5, look at this. Verse 5, I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Verse 5, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. Look, he's saying, if you want to look in the past, don't look at something I did in the past. Don't look at the temple in the past. Why don't you go back to Egypt when you were enslaved and could do nothing for yourself? Let's go back and remember that time. Let's remember the time when you were uh, enslaved, when you had no freedom, when you had no control of your life, when you could not worship me because you were enslaved by the people of Egypt and Pharaoh in particular. Why don't you remember that and remember how I brought the plagues to deliver you? Remember how I turned Pharaoh's heart, how I turned the people's heart so that you left captivity? They not only let you go, but they sent you with their goods, their jewels, and you got to the, remember you got to the, uh, 
to the Red Sea and they changed their mind, they were coming after you. Well, I parted the Red Sea, you got across, then I destroyed your enemies. Go back to the time when you were captive and completely incapable of doing anything for yourself and I freed you and I promised that I would be with you. I brought you out of Egypt so that you can worship me. Is it possible that I could help you get a building up? Now, we don't look back to Exodus, we do historically and in our heritage, but that's not the great point of spiritual deliverance for us. We look back to the cross and resurrection. See, that's where we could do nothing for ourselves. We were completely incapable of freeing ourselves from bondage, and Jesus came and lived a perfect life. Jesus came and took our sins upon himself on the cross. Jesus died for us in our place as our substitute. Jesus was buried and then raised, defeating the power of sin and death, forgiving all who would believe in him. Then Jesus was ascended to the right hand of the Father. Then Acts 2, he poured out the Spirit so that anyone who would believe in him would have his very presence living within him. That was our place of freedom. So we don't go back to what God did, if you're an old guy like me, in the 80s or older, in the 70s, or when you were in high school or when you were first married or what he did five years ago and say, those were the glory days, this is nothing. We go back to the cross and resurrection and said, our God did for us what we never could do for ourselves and has promised to always be with us, never leave us, never forsake us, and he promised that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not stand against us, so we don't look to a glory day and compare, we look to the cross and the resurrection, the empty tomb, the ascended savior, and there we find our comfort. Remember the promise when I brought you the covenant, the commitment I made when I brought you out of Egypt, totally enslaved. He freed us. And he's, what he's saying is if I did that for you, the great deliverance, the Red Sea, if I did that for you, will I not take care of all these other things? I'm with you. It's Mother's Day. I hope this passage encourages you if you are battling discouragement like these folks. He's got to tell them three times, be strong, be strong, be strong. Maybe you're battling weariness. Maybe like them, you've got a task that just looks too big. That's what it looks like to them. This is too big. Maybe, maybe you feel overwhelmed. Maybe you know what it is to feel weak. God comes and says, be strong, I am with you, to people that feel weak, and he strengthens them. Maybe you say, that's me, and you need to hear the word from the Lord today, I am with you. Maybe, as was shared earlier, you want to be a mom, and you are not, and, and your heart aches on a day like today. We all, as a church, want to be empathetic and, um, and seek to understand, you know, understand that. The word of God comes and says, I am with you. If you lost your mom this year, I am with you. That's God's word to us. He will never leave or forsake us. When Israel wonders if they can do what God's called them to do, he says, remember how I delivered you and know that I'm with you. Remember that. Maybe you're, make another application for moms. Maybe you're here today and you are like the people at the site tempted to compare. See, the real root problem here is they're comparing. God didn't say, go back to Jerusalem and do exactly what Solomon did. He said, build the house of the Lord. 
He'll take care of the rest. He told him to build the house of the Lord. But there is a temptation to compare. Uh, This is so specific in the way he says it. Verse three, is it not as nothing in your eyes? God's just reading their mail. He's just saying, hey, this is what you guys are saying. This is what you're thinking. This is what some of the old timers who are nostalgic in their 80s are telling the whippersnappers, this is the way it used to be. This is nothing. Somebody's saying that. Somebody's comparing. And those who are working are comparing. I mean, you're you're excited about building until the guy tells you, oh yeah, Solomon had 30,000 people who worked full time. (laughs) Oh, oh. Then there's a comparison. So they are comparing, and it looks like nothing in their eyes. So what does God say? Don't compare to some other season or some other work of God or some other building or something he did for someone else through someone else, like Solomon's temple. Look to me. That's what he tells them. Look, get your eyes on me. God wants our eyes on Jesus. It is deadly to compare to the former glory. Comparison is always deadly. It's a lose-lose every time. As a, as a mom, if you compare yourself to other moms, if you compare yourself, your kids to other children, it's always a lose. It's set up for loss because it really can go one of two ways. And you're looking at the wrong place both ways. One is you look at someone that you perceive to be because you don't really know them unless you live with them all the time. But you perceive to be more godly, more fruitful, whatever it is, and then you condemn yourself, you feel bad about yourself, you feel like a failure. That didn't go well. Or you look at them and go, glad I'm not married to that guy, glad those kids aren't my kids, glad I don't have to deal with what she has to deal with. And then you feel self-righteous and good about yourself. So either way, whether you're despondent or whether you're puffed up, your eyes are not on Jesus looking to the left and to the right to measure ourselves among ourselves is always deadly. It leads to hopelessness, jealousy, envy, division, and it hinders the building of the house of God. If they're going to look back at somebody else, if they're going to listen to all of the way it used to be, if they're going to listen to all that, they're going to be hopeless. That's why God comes and says, hey guys, eyes right here, right here. What did I do in the Exodus? Don't be, don't be worried about this former glory thing. Don't be, telling me, don't be worried about another temple and what another people of God did and when they had a King Solomon. Don't worry about all that. Look at me. Who brought you out of Egypt? Solomon and his 30,000 workers or God? I'm still with you, is what he says. Comparison is deadly, and that's why we look to the Lord, and the reason he points them to the Exodus is the implicit argument is, if I did the greatest work imaginable in delivering you, will I not take care of this house? Here's how Paul says it in Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, that's the deliverance. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If Jesus saved you from sin and death, if Jesus came to me when I was blind, more than that, deaf, more than that, dead in my transgressions and sins, not just blind and and deaf, though I was that, dead and raised me to life, will he not take care of the other areas of my life and empower me to fulfill what he's called me to do? Will he not empower us as a church to do what he's called us to do? Is he not with us to build his church for his glory? If he did that for all the people in his church, if he did that for you, will he not give you what you need as a mom? Will he not empower you and strengthen you and provide for you and help you? 
Does he not love your kids more than you do? Can he not work in their hearts in ways that you never can? Now, he uses you. He's pleased to use you to bring them the message of the gospel and to shape and form them. But, but, But he's the one that ultimately does that. He uses you as an instrument, tremendous privilege. But he's the one. You can't regenerate a heart. He has to do that. So if he saved you, well, is he not faithful to the next generation? Or maybe it's your job. Maybe you work in the marketplace, guys, or ladies, either one, and you just feel, hey, I know I'm supposed to be here, but I'm just overwhelmed. He saved you from your sin and gave you new life, so he will take care of lesser things. Your job issues are huge, but they're not bigger than how a dead soul can come to life. That's bigger. And if you took care of that one, he'll take care of these lesser ones. That's what he tells them. So, I made a covenant with you. I promised you I would be with you. I was faithful to you when you came out of Egypt. Number two, my spirit remains in your midst. So he, promised, he gives them these three encouragements. First of all, he looked to the past at what he did in the gospel, we could say. Number two, his presence in the present. His work in the past, his presence in the presence. In the present, his work in the past, his presence in the present. When he's charging them to be strong, it means to take courage. The word literally means take courage. They're discouraged, so they need to take courage. And they take courage by looking at what he did in the past and also recognizing what he does now. That he's with them. I mean, I can imagine what this would have been like. I mean, there's some initial excitement. Everybody's stirred. Everybody starts showing up at the job site. We're going to do this. Yes, they've been all roused. God spoke. Everybody's convicted. Spirit of the Lord helps them. They all show up out there. They get going at a little bit. And then this word comes up. Hey, this isn't as good as it used to be. This is going to be what it used to be. This is a little thing. And then all of a sudden, there is a discouragement. They started realizing, wow, this task is bigger than I thought. There's a Mother's Day word, right? Oh, I want to have a child, whatever. Then you have one that's like, wow, this is way bigger than I thought. Way bigger. Or how about us as a church, building the house of God? It's way bigger. I like read the website and it was like kind of, oh, that's good, yeah, I'm for that. And then, oh yeah, but if I'm gonna actually function and participate and serve and be active with other sinners, oh, uh, uh, that's, that's hard. Building the house of the Lord is hard. It's difficult. What they're doing is challenging. It's daunting. But he says, you know what? My spirit remains in your midst. There's a very popular verse that you, 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 if you've read the Bible or been in Christian context, you may have heard the verse, but you might not know the context. Zechariah is a contemporary of Haggai. It's the next book over. And Zechariah comes to Zerubbabel about this time, at some point, comes and brings a word. Zechariah has a personal word for the governor, Zerubbabel. And this is what he says to him. It's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Hey, you laid the foundation. That's what it says. You laid the foundation, Zerubbabel. But you know what? This is daunting. This is scary. This is huge. How could we ever do it? It won't be as good. It's not as good as, hey, hey, not by might. It's not by your strength, not by power. It's not by your ability. It's by the spirit of the Lord. And so he wants to remind them, hey, my spirit is in your midst. It's okay. Don't panic. Don't listen to the comparison, folk. Don't listen to what it was going to be, what's going to happen, what might happen. Don't listen to all the predictions. L- listen to this. 
I'm present. I'm present. My spirit is still with you. And, and you think about what he says to them, it's by my spirit. We have a, we have a, um, a, a much greater experience of the spirit than they. Because we live this side of the cross and resurrection. So we, we know the gospel. What they only could dream about and imagine, we know. We know his name and what he's like and what he taught and what he did. Jesus. They hoped for Jesus. We know Jesus. And Jesus, by his spirit, dwells in us. We commune with God through his word and by his spirit. We, we know so much more. We live this side of Pentecost. They lived the other side, anticipating a day when God would pour out his spirit. We live on the other side of Pentecost, having experienced the poured out spirit. So we have the spirit dwelling in us. We have the full word of God. They had a partial word of God looking forward to the word. We know the word Jesus, and we know the word, the scripture, which reveals him to us. We have the comfort of the Spirit in us and with us. We're called to a task, and he's equipped us in ways that they did not have. They had a prophet, Haggai, speaking to them. At Pentecost, Peter stands up and quotes Joel and said, you know what's happening now? God's going to use all his people, men and women. He says, this is, this is what Joel prophesied, that in the last days he would pour out his Spirit on your sons and your daughters, young and old, male and female, the spirit is in all and on all and equipping all and empowering all. We have what was promised to them. We have it in much greater measure today. God gives us spiritual gifts to do what he's called us to do. So he not only says, build my house, but I'm gonna give you the word and show you how to do that. I'm gonna change your heart and give you a desire to do that. I'm gonna give you spiritual gifts to accomplish. I'm gonna give you the tools to accomplish what I've called you to do. So when we build the house, we really have much more, oh, I don't know how to say it. We got much more going for us than these people did. And yet God was with them and he is, he is with us. We've experienced his empowering presence to pray for one another, care for one another, bear one of those burdens. The spirit enables us to do this. I think it's important to note the exact language of verse five there. According to the covenant that I've made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. My spirit's, I'm still here. He's wanting them to take their eyes off comparing it with the former glory, the glory years, what God did. And he's wanting them to say, hey guys, my spirit's still here working. Are you aware? My spirit is still here working. He hasn't left. Here's what they're forgetting. It's so easy, so easy to forget the presence of the Lord, the work of the Lord. It's so easy to get our eyes off him. It's so easy for me. And whether it is, I made some others illustrations, whether it is a parent, whether it is a Christian, whether it is a church member, whatever, it's so easy to get our eyes off and, oh, Lord, where are you? What's happening? He's saying, I'm still here. I, am st I remain with you. Three, uh, no, seven weeks ago-ish, seven weeks ago, everybody for 18 years has been deaf to God. For 18 years, they've all been living like the world, building their own houses, consumed with their own little kingdoms, spending on themselves, living for themselves, focused on themselves, just seven weeks ago. They're totally asleep, drowsy Christians, un or Hebrews, unaware of God, 
God's call, totally forgot God's calling, replaced his priorities with all these other priorities. I'm gonna build my house, not the house of God. Totally distant from him, the spirit of God comes, boom, speaks, they wake up. And they didn't just hear a word and get convicted. It's not like Haggai just came in and gave everybody a spiritual whooping and said, wake up, you sorry people. Or it's not like that, that's what he, he didn't do that. But he came in and said, hey, what are you doing? And you know what? Their heart turned and they wanted to change. God stirred them and they said, let's do it. Seven weeks later, everybody's forgetting. For 18 years, we didn't hear the word of God. For 18 years, we were deaf to God. For 18 years, we were disobeying God and not fulfilling our purposes. And now we're all out here with a shovel and doing something. So everybody should have been saying, don't tell me about the former glory. Let me tell you about the last 18 years when I didn't even know God existed. And God spoke to me and woke me up and I'm out here among the people of God about his purposes. I don't know former glory, future glory. I don't know what Solomon Temple's like. I'm glad with all due respect that you walked to school barefoot to the temple and saw that to the older people who are saying the glory days and these young kids aren't doing anything right. I'm glad, with all due respect, I'm glad you had that experience. I, I don't know what God's gonna do here. All I know is I was in the world and now I'm with the people of God, with the spirit of God, doing what he's called us to do and I gotta leave the results with him and say, praise God, he's with me speaking to me. That's what should be happening. And that's why he says, I remain. That's why he says that. My spirit remains in your midst. I spoke to you seven weeks ago. You repented three and a half weeks ago and got on the job site. And I'm still here. Remember the delivering power in the past. Remember his presence with you now. He's roused them from slumber. He's awakened their conscience. He's granted them the gift of repentance. He's oriented their lives around his priorities. God is at work and they don't even see it. And he has to come and say three times, come on, be strong. Be strong, stand up, get in the game. Go for it, lean in because I'm gonna help you. I'm more than helping you. I'm gonna work through you. God is at work and they don't see it. Listen, discouragement, discouraged people, all of us get discouraged. Discouraged people fail to find God at work all around them. That's the nature of discouragement. The nature of discouragement is that we don't see God at work in our past, what he did for us. We don't appropriately appreciate that. And we don't see him working all around us. We don't see him, we get discouraged. Discourage means I'm lacking courage. The courage slipped, uh, slipped out of me. Now I gotta get some more courage. So I gotta get encouraged. And that's what he does. He encourages them. This really isn't a Mother's Day sermon, obviously. Uh, happy Mother's Day. Here's Haggai and a flower. Um, <laughs> but I think it's totally relevant. And I'm not stretching the point here at all. Moms, if you're a Christian, there is evidence of God at work all around you all around you. The fact you're here today and you're listening to the word of God and, and you want to honor the Lord as a mom and you want your little ones, whether they're two or 20, to know Jesus, that's God at work. You didn't come up with that in the flesh. And because moms forget that God is at work all around them, young people, kids, make sure your mom hears that today. You tell her where God is at work all around her. You're the evidence. You're the evidence. You remind her. She doesn't need to compare and look somewhere else. 
God is at work in her for your good. And you tell her that. And husbands, it's our responsibility to, even if it's not our mom, it's our wife, but she's the mother of our children, to come alongside and to point out where we see her, not just today, but regularly, where we see God at work because she forgets and gets discouraged. And she needs this word from the Lord. She doesn't just need us saying, hey, love you, great meal, that's wonderful. But she needs us saying, she needs us pointing out God is with you. Here's how I see God at work in you. He's never left you. Don't be discouraged. He is using you. God is stirring. God is working. And there's living proof around us. And I want you to be aware of what he did for you in Christ and what he's doing in you right now. That's the glory of a day like today is that we have the privilege to point out, like Haggai pointed out to them, through that God's at work. He never left us. He's here. He's doing things. Is it perfect? No. Is this perfect, Farmer Joe, instead of 30,000 laborers? No, this is not perfect. Heaven will be perfect. Until then, it will not be perfect. So we're not saying you're perfect, it's perfect, the kids are perfect, the life situation's perfect. No, you'll never find that in the scripture until you get to like Revelation 20. You don't find that. But God's at work, and God's present, and God's doing something, and God didn't leave you, and you don't have to compare with the way it was or the way she is, the way he is, the way it was. We need to look to Jesus and say, you are with us, help us. He's not gonna leave us. Lastly, and we're done, this one's really quick, but he, he, there's a promise for the future as well. So he calls him to the past, the exodus. He calls him to the present. My spirit remains in you, verse six. Thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while and I'll shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I'll shake all the nations and the treasures of all the nations shall come in and I will fill the house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Oh, that's a great one because there was gold all inside Solomon's temple and these people are like poor. Uh, Where's that coming? God reminds them, uh, I pretty much own all the gold and silver, so I've got that one covered. I'll bring the gold and silver, okay? So he, he tells them that, verse nine, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Oh, this isn't gonna be like it used to be. Hey, you know what? I'm gonna do something in here that'll be greater than Solomon could ever have imagined. The wealth of the nations own it all. It's coming in here. That literally took place. Herod, this temple, which is ultimately the temple, you know, uh, the, the temple that Herod adds on to, uh, had, a, in essence, a gold dome on the top. I forget what you call that, not a dome, but whatever they call that architecturally, that shone all over the city. So God literally did that. He brought the nations to contribute to it people like Herod, but, but that's probably not the real meaning of it, though it literally had glory to it physically. He mentions gold and silver. But, but the real glory of the temple is that Solomon's temple pointed to the day the Savior would come. The temple they're working on, Jesus shows up. God comes to it in the flesh. God comes to the house of the Lord in the flesh in Jesus, John 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. There's coming a glory that's much greater than Solomon's temple or this temple. Jesus is coming. In Matthew 12, 6, Jesus said, I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. Oh, God has come in the flesh and, and he's going to die, and the temple curtain is going to be torn. And he's going to be buried and raised, and the nations are going to come to Christ. 
The nations will pour into the new temple. The greater glory is the glory of Jesus. We beheld his glory, John says. He is the greater glory. Jesus says one greater than the temple is here. That's himself. He's gonna do something far greater than they can expect. Well, how does that apply to us? Because we live, as I said, this side of Jesus. So we could look back and say the glory. Oh no, the glory is yet to come. Jesus will return and he will draw us to himself. We will spend eternity in his presence. We will see him face to face. All suffering, all sin, all sickness, all abuse, all sorrow, all hatred, all division, all self-righteousness, all licentiousness, everything will be away and we will be in the presence of the glory of God for all eternity. And there will be no need of a temple. There'll be no need of a sun. His light emanating from the holiness, the glory of God lights up the new heavens and the new earth. That greater glory is in front of us. And so he points to them to a day that probably pointed to Christ's first coming. We read this and we can interpret and say, yes, that's true, but we look to his second coming, the fullness of glory. It's coming for all who are in Christ. So where are you discouraged as you look around at your life today? If you look around at the building of this house of the Lord, where are you discouraged? Something about the Sunday gathering discouraging you? Something about your small group? something about relationships, maybe some other ministry, something about our witness to the community as a church. Maybe you're discouraged about that. Something maybe you don't feel connected, haven't made enough friends. Maybe you're discouraged about that. You feel called here, but you're discouraged about something. Well, I think this passage relates. He says, I'm with you, work. That's what he says verse four. I'm with you, work. I delivered you, I am present with you, I am coming back for you. Now put your hand to the shovel and watch what I do. Maybe it's another calling, maybe it's not building the house of the Lord, maybe it's a spouse, as a spouse or a parent or an employee or a neighbor, you just lack courage, you lack faith, you're discouraged, you're weary, you're thinking, oh, I don't think I can press on. He's taking care of your greatest need, delivered you, He's present with you. He's coming back for you. He can strengthen you by his spirit to do what he's called you to do. He will always give us the strength to do what he's called us to do. One author, this is how he summarized this passage. He says, despondency, that's the people of Israel. Despondency says, I can't, therefore I won't. The obedience of faith says, I can't, he can, so I will. I can't, he can, so I will. God is present and active among his people. Therefore, they must be vigorous and active in the callings that he's given them, confident in his power to sustain them and to work through them. Not comparing with people or seasons of life, or history, looking at him. Not to the left or the right, looking to him, taking our place in our family, our job, our neighborhood, our church, all our callings, taking our place, saying this is for the glory of God. He's freed me 
and he's empowering me to do this and he's coming back for me and all the pains of this will be gone then but until that day press on filled by his spirit let's pray you've been listening to a message from grace church for more information visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org